Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Combat Chronicles. I'm Kyle Mack, and well aware there was no episode last week because I just couldn't be bothered. And you're probably thinking, well, why do I want to listen to a podcast where someone isn't bothered? Well, I wasn't bothered to do a free one um, because I thought, you know what? There was some intrigue on last week's UFC card. There was some stuff of interest to talk about. I'm going to skim over it here, but I'll tell you why. I didn't do an episode. But I was really, really bothered about finishing the first ever audio documentary episode of Combat Chronicles which is over on the Patreon feed, over at www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Uh, I have a good feedback on it, well aware that it's a little bit rough around the edges in terms of the audio mixing, but it's the equivalent of four British pounds a month to sign up. Um, uh, certainly not going to uh, be judgmental if you only sign up quickly uh, to listen to this episode and then and leave again, but um, it's a signifier of what's about to come for the podcast, um, uh, the patron that is, especially because this sort of long form, uh, sort of audio documentary based stuff is something which I want to move uh, towards and do a bit more of. And uh, I think, hopefully, if you do sign up and check that that episode out um, for for listeners of the, of the regular podcast, it's a, it's an episode of Closet Classics, which uh, I know you guys enjoy. Um, but done in a, in a slightly different format. Um, I know if you do check that episode out, you'll think, do you know what? If he's going to do stuff like this, it's going to be fun. So, yeah, uh, by all means, check that out. And uh, there's some really cool stuff coming up out on the Patreon, which I'm going to mention at the end of this episode. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't really go uh, and go into depth on last week's episode, I was going to do like a Patreon episode, but I thought, do you know what? Um, the main talking point was uh, Sumadaji versus Match Now, and I thought... I'm only going to speak about that at the end of the year anyway, when it wins round of the year and the end of the year awards. So I could talk more about it then. But obviously some really nice moments in that. Uh, resiliency from Schnell, if I remember correctly, has come out and said some pretty dumb shit in the past about uh, you know all sorts of uh, stuff, um, which smart people wouldn't say. Which I think actually, if if, if I am remembering correctly and uh, it was him, it completely plays into my theory that, that dumb people were really good fighters because they just... I think they uh, they just don't realise when they're out. And um, Matt Schnell uh, personified that last week with a really gutsy performance where I'm not even sure if he knew what he was doing for some of it. Um, Sumadaji did some lovely work um, uh, baiting and timing him with the, with the left straight and, and, and framing off uh, to hit him with the, uh, the, the short lead standing elbow. 
Um, one of my takeaways was after the fight, everyone saying, "Yeah, DC was all of us with his commentary." Just look how look how excited he got. It, it rang completely false to me. That high pitched screaming. He, he was trying to create a moment, and I just thought, "You know what, man? Do your fucking job." This is annoying, basically. A fight for me, which was really interesting going in, was uh, Jack Shaw versus Ricky Simone. Um, I think even if you did like a actually, especially if you did like a combined rankings of 135 pounders. Uh, these two wouldn't be in the top 10. And the fact they're not in the top 10 in the UFC's rankings just shows how deep that division is. So for me, this was very much a... Uh, not a crossroads fight. That's not at all the right term for this. But this was very much a, you know, sort of put two guys... They're not prospects. They're both essentially you know, young veterans, essentially. But let's put two guys on the cusp of contendership together and let's see who's moving forward for now. And let's see who needs to, uh, you know, have a little bit uh, more seasoning. And Jack Shaw, for me, like you know, he's he'd been on a very good run. I think he was like fourteen or fifteen and or something like that. Never really been sold on him as someone who's like got massive potential. Um, like he's very much a mixed martial artist in the sense that he, he sort of he's learned MMA, and he doesn't really seem to have any sort of uh, defining traits for me. As you know, he just he just just does everything pretty well, and I'm not just just not sold on him. Uh, he hasn't really got anything to his game that marks him out as potential elite level fighter or a world level contender in my opinion um, Ricky Simone on the other hand is going from strength to strength uh, and, and putting together a nice little run here uh, what I particularly liked in this one was reactive attempts at takedowns so reactive takedowns slipping underneath Shaw's shots pressuring him constantly pressuring him that then the threat of the takedown which you know didn't necessarily successfully complete but that threat then allowed him to open up the body shots and then just pressure Sean more. And I think that, you know, once he had him thinking about the body shots, that's when he was able to counter him upstairs. Everything seamlessly sort of worked uh, to create a, a cohesive uh, game plan, essentially. So Simone was asking which adjustments to make in between rounds. And what I liked in the, in the first round was those attempts at takedowns became kind of war and stall sessions. Uh, and then what he did was uh, adjusted in the second round to actually just elbow sure off the break so really nice work uh finish with a head and arm triangle choke in the second round uh really impressive win for ricky simone who in my opinion is you know chuck him in with basically anyone in the top 10 that he hasn't already fought and uh see how it goes he's a really strong uh fighter pressures well and uh yeah really big fan of his uh and going forward just one of many fighters who you could make um just tantalising matchups with £135. Uh, it's great to see. Uh, Leach uh, banged out uh, Sanikov, so watch that. Worth watching. Uh, my man Miguel, who's a patron of this podcast, uh, did a really nice um, uh, little clip on, on Twitter, if you can find it, showing how Leach set the, the knockout up. So not going to bother analysing it because he's basically said what I would have said anyway and, and done it you know, as well, if not better than I did. So just check out Miguel instead on Twitter. Um and basically, yeah, other than that, Burgos versus Jordan was a really good, fun fight, but somewhat uh, tainted by the decision, which I felt was unfair. Uh, so we come on to UFC London, and basically this week has just been, uh, I think, the story of this week of MMA is that it's been a bit of a nightmare, basically. Um, so this is, I guess, sad and funny at the same time. Um, because I didn't talk about 
I just spoke about last week's card. Didn't mention Yoya Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega because unfortunately, although the uh, first round was really fun uh, and kind of gives us an idea of what was going to happen uh, or, or how you know what Brian Ortega was up against and what might potentially play out over five rounds. Really intriguing. He got injured and, and the fight ended prematurely. Likewise, the main event: Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall. The very rare, the very rare intriguing heavyweight matchup from both a narrative and technical standpoint we were going to learn a lot about both fighters and actually should have played out and started out playing out really fun actually wow fucking hell there's a lot happening here Blades Time and Aspinall's uh, rushes with the right uh, counter and, and, and twatting him uh, Aspinall's just throwing himself into it uh, 15 seconds in goes down with I guess is an, uh, an ACL injury or, or similar and it's over so yeah the fight, which was I assumed last night going into it, like, yeah, this will be the bulk of this episode. Um, uh, there's nothing to talk about outside the fact that I thought Aspinall was being a bit OTT anyway, uh, and you know, I thought I didn't really like what he was doing. Um, it's 15 seconds, what, what the fuck am I going to do to talk about that? Um, yeah, unfortunate. The rest of the card basically wasn't very good. Um, there's some fighters which are of some interest that I'll talk about uh, briefly. I'm not going to speak about Meatball Molly. Sorry, guys. She's not interesting. She's not interesting as a fighter. It's really cool that she's getting some cool stoppages and whatnot. But there's nothing to analyse because there's no stakes. She's fighting opponents that I just don't care about. The division I do not care about. Molly McCann I do not care about. She's wholly uninteresting as a personality, as a fighter. Um, I just don't care. There's, there's no stakes. Um, it's not interesting. Let someone else talk about it. Um, likewise, you know, Paul Craig, interesting to talk about when he pulls a triangle out of his ass. Less so in a, in a you know fight with Vulcan, which wasn't very interesting. Uh, Nathaniel Wood, really nice performance against Charles Rosa, who looked like he'd been uh, slapped up by water. But um, yeah, like, I like Nathaniel Wood, but not going to spend a lot of time talking about him. A fighter that I, I don't really like um, as a person, but as a fighter, it was really impressive that I will talk about. Muhammad Makaya versus Charles Johnson. I like Charles Johnson, uh, LFA champ. Um, some really nice elements to his game. Makaya drowned him, basically, um, in terms of just constant wrestling pressure um, and just didn't really allow Johnson to do anything, um, but also didn't really do too much himself from the damage standpoint. It was obviously a, a clear win for Makayev because he didn't allow Johnson to really get anything done. Um, but Johnson sort of, you know, he telegraphs his leg kicks, nice fast trigger release on him, but sort of telegraphs him, wasn't really able to get anything going with his boxing. He's a bit of a slow starter anyway. Uh, and Makayev basically, you know, I think went for position over damage. He's got to work on that going forward, but really, really, really impressive win. Um, he's just one of these guys. If he, get, if he gets a body lock on you, you, you're going for a ride, or you're getting dragged down, basically. So, um, yeah, I'm sure if he keeps doing this, um, the goodwill that uh, a lot of fans seem to have for him right now. You know, he's, he's undefeated. He's young. He gets this sort of uh, aura of a of, of a Habib type. You know, what I mean, he's from Dagestan originally, uh, lives uh, and naturalised in Britain now. Um, you know. He's going to have a pretty rabid fan base. He already has to an extent, but he's going to have one even more uh, soon. But um, his first couple of performances was a lot more interesting and, and you know exciting. Uh, this one, less so. But again, massive step up in competition, in my opinion. Like Charles Johnson, hope he gets another chance. But 
um, yeah, Mackay have clearly put a ceiling on what Charles Johnson could do because uh, as long as Mackay in the way, he's not really going to get anything done. So, yeah, he's, he's staying active, Mohamed Mackay. I look forward to seeing him again. Um, and, yeah, just you know, keep moving him up the ranks because clearly he's, he's too good. Um, to be fighting anyone lower than him in the ranks. So, uh, and, and Flyweight is relatively deep, but in somewhat of a transitional period, in my opinion. Might as well just fucking throwing him with someone in the top 15, top 10, in my opinion. Uh, Nikita Krylov smashed Alexander Gustafsson. So not interested in Gus anymore, guys. He's done. I don't care. Um, I, I really do think that he's done. Just could, just could not care less. So we come on to two of the more interesting fights on the card. Um, from a sort of fan reaction standpoint, I'm going to end with Paddy. I think the Paddy Pimblet Jordan Levitt fight, although not that interesting on paper, not that interesting in uh, execution, that brings up an interesting sort of uh, more interesting debate about scoring. So I'm going to I'm going to end with that. Um, but Jack Manson versus Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis, a fighter who's really got a lot of goodwill recently uh, for fighting regularly fighting guys that are generally larger than him and just putting on really sweet, aesthetically pleasing boxing-based performances. Uh, and Jack Manson completely diffused him in this fight. Jack Manson, a fighter, is ostensibly a, you know, a grappler, but um, sort of bluffs his way through fights in a, in a striking standpoint, uh, does a, you know, a couple of techniques reasonably well and just sort of you know, fl- flaps around, shall we say. Um, beat Chris Curtis really well. Um Causing him to reset constantly with kicks, not allowing Curtis to build any momentum, and he's a fighter who needs to build momentum, get the range down uh, to you know time his punches, especially to the body. Um, Curtis did have more success in the third round, but what I really liked about Jack Hermanson was Curtis, who is okay, a, a boxer to a fault. Um, Hermanson was just cutting off Curtis's um, head slips with intercepting knees, basically, and, and you know, catching him with the knee coming forward. Again, the high kick even if it wasn't necessarily landing hard or anything, causing Curtis to have to stop his advances, block, pivot out, reset, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I thought really good game plan from Hermanson. He basically just big-manned Curtis and just sort of long-boyed him, you know, as the kids might say. And, um, yeah, although Curtis did uh, respond uh, better as the fight went on, got his reads a little bit better, really good win for Jack Hermanson. I think, basically, based on Chris Curtis's form in, in PFA and whatnot, anyway, I think we had a pretty defined ceiling on him. Um, but he's fun generally, and he wasn't very fun in this. He kicked off after the fight and then said, you know, I was in the wrong, but maybe I should have prepared for a track meet. Mate, you can't cut the cage off. You you, you know, you can't just stand there and have people give you opportunities to hit them. You could not cut the cage off very well at all. Um, and we're not able to draw out leads in a way that you were conducive to good countering or, you know, or heard Hermanson to certain areas of the cage where you could better pressure him with your body shots and whatnot. So it's all on Chris Curtis. Um I think Chris Curtis really should be at one seventy. I know he's probably at one eighty five because A it's he doesn't want to make the cut and B it just puts him in a position to take fights at short notice, like he did in this one. Um so fair play to him. I still really like Chris Curtis. Um, I think he's a fighter who, you know, especially this week, the more we've learned about him, the more we realise that maybe he's not just this really likeable underdog, aesthetically pleasing fighter to watch. He might be a bit of a prick. Um, but, um, yeah, like he seems really engaging on Twitter and whatnot, but then after giving Hamanson the finger and then being dragged off, and we've seen this week he sparred some fat dude and beat the shit out of him because the guy was like coming in thinking he's a street fighter. Generally, as an MMA fighter, just 
take them down and just hold them. Why, why are we beating up civilians? Don't give a fuck how much. Unless the guy's a nonce or something, you know, or, or a rapist. Yeah, yeah, punch him to death. But, you know, kicking, punching guys. Just fucking hold them down and pin them down and, and choke them out. Wake them up, choke them out again. Wake them up, choke them out again. That's how you fucking teach these guys. Not punching their fucking heads in. The guy, the guy couldn't fight. Um, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, you know, it, we, we all know that I love violence and that. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't. Okay, maybe punch him and kick him, but don't fucking post about it and act like you. I mean, you got Sean Strickland trying to calm you down. That makes you look a dick, in my opinion. But yeah, I think you know, given Chris Curtis has had a good run, uh, I think he's at eight fights undefeated. He's you know, beat Vieira recently. And I think Nick Sick and the guys at Extreme Couture have got enough goodwill with me that you know I'm still on board with the Chris Curtis train. I think he's still a good fighter. I really like to see him fight Calvin Gastelum next. I think that would be you know a good gauge for both. Then the loser can fuck off. But um, yeah, I think that's a that's that's a good that's a really good uh, fight to make between uh, two lads who probably should have been at one seventy f- for longer. But yeah, I could go on and wax lyrical about how good Dalton Russell was at Bellator, which I think he really was, or go into ACA one forty one, including another complete shambles of a fight, much like the Yair uh, Rodriguez, uh, Brian Ortega, and the Aspinall Curtis Blades I spoke about with uh, one of the. Uh, a much-anticipated ACA 155-pound Grand Prix fight between Ali Bagov and Rashid Magomedov, which was essentially just a, a classic, uh, you know, staring contest in which uh, an ACA official came and actually stopped the contest going into the fifth round and said, basically, you guys are shit, fuck off, um, which is, you know, obviously a massive shame. Um, although it's insane that Ali Bagov even made £155. So um, there is more of interest on that ACA card. I haven't caught up with all of it yet. Um, reliably informed, it's well worth covering. But again, do my audience want to hear about ACA? I mean, I, I think it's probably the second or third best promotion in the world. But is that something I should say for the patron? Let me know at the usual uh, places. Um, maybe I should get Ryan Wagner on to talk, to do like a once a month patron podcast about ACA or similar um, or something like that but yeah, I'm not going to talk about it today um, as I haven't completely caught up with the card so I'm going to finish off on essentially a guy who's like one of the biggest stars in the UFC it seems like he hasn't sold a pay-per-view or anything yet but Paddy Pimblett gets so much uh, sort of engagement on social media the amount of people I know that are asking me about him like normal people civilians watching Paddy Pimblett you think he's going to win you know Pimbler's good. When do you reckon he'll fight McGregor? Which I actually said on Twitter last night. That's going to happen. I'm telling you now. UFC, they, they get it. They must see the engagement numbers that Pimbler gets. He gets a lot of engagement on social media. His clips get a lot of engagement. I know that just everyday people that don't usually like watch MMA outside of like maybe McGregor fights, they're talking about him. So they're kind of seeing him in that light. There's a big casual combat sports fandom in the UK. And I see, just I'm involved in every day. Obviously, I'm you know on social media. I see people talking about him in a way that I think mm, doesn't really. I just don't. I don't see it personally a lot with mixed martial artists. So I'm putting two and two together and thinking this guy's getting a swell of casual support. So they are going to make Paddy Pimlet versus a big fighter soon, because based on this fight and his others, if they continue to match him against kind of middling guys of the same level, he's going to get found out soon enough. So that's the narrative part of it, sort of wrapped up. There's a couple of guys they could potentially put him with that are names that he would, I still think, have really competitive fights with and potentially lose. Those are Dan Hooker, 
Tony Ferguson and the recently departed uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, if they managed to drag him back. Um, we're trying to find fighters with names that are potentially shot to pieces for Paddy Pimlet to fight, to build him up enough that you could put him in a title fight and sell, and sell that. We'll talk about Paddy Pimlet here purely as a moneymaker. The UFC going, you know what? He's relatively fun to watch. He's going to lose soon if we keep moving him up the rankings steadily. Let's try and cash out on him. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that he's popular enough that we can make money off this guy, and they will. The way he talks, you know, I don't like the way he talks, but, you know, the way he talks, the way he can sell a fight, if they put him in a big fight, he will sell it, and people will buy it. If they keep matching him steadily, and in a division as deep as £155, he's going to get a paste in soon, and it would have been for nothing. So as a business standpoint, I completely get it. So that's the narrative thing out of the way. You know, they are going to put him in with someone like McGregor soon, because it's either Ferguson, Dan Hooker, Maybe Cowboy, or they're like your veterans, like Jim Miller or Clay Guida, both of which I think will. Guida's less, um, less intimidating than Jim Miller at this point, but still not even. I mean, fucking hell, as scrambly and fun a grappler as Paddy Pimlet is, um, I'm not so sure that fucking he's gonna have enough craft for the likes of Clay Guida or Jim Miller. I mean, fucking hell, yeah. If you want to find someone for him, you have to bring him, you know, a really big name. You have to find someone like Diego Sanchez. Fucking hell, man. You can't put Paddy Pimlet in with 155. I speak at 135 earlier. 155 is the only division in the world which has any sort of claim to being the best division in the world outside of 135. I think 155 is arguably the best. So, I mean, fucking hell. Imagine putting him in with the fighters we mentioned recently. Gamrot, you know, Ismagulov, Kataladze, Sarukian. You know, this is the next generation of 155. Not Paddy Pimlet. Um, it was still somewhat ropey on the feet. Doesn't get his head off centre. Likes getting hit in the face. Um, I say nice, fun, scrambly uh, grappler, but even with my sort of uh, nascent knowledge of actual grappling, I mean, from, I know people who know grappling, and no one's talking about him as like a an actual like elite fighter in that regard. He's just fun, scrambly, and 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 does some things well, and manages to snatch subs and. I, I like him to watch. He's a fun fighter. He's a fun action fighter at a really low level. At a really low level. And they're finding him, guys, that he can beat. The UFC know that he's marketable but not very good. Trust me. Jordan Levitt can't exactly crack at all. Um, also a pretty fun grappler. So basically what they're saying is, OK, Paddy, here's a guy who's going to fight in the same phases that you want to fight in. Where, um, but in one phase, you're better than him. So basically, you've got two chances to win, and he's only got one. That's essentially what they're saying. Um, and yeah, nice nice win by Paddy, don't be wrong. Nice finish. Uh, had a couple of uh, bites at the apple. Finally gets a submission in, in the second round. Well done, mate. You know, fair play. Um, pretty clear to me that you know he is going to be headlining a, a UK card soon, in all, in all likelihood, just because he's so popular. But if they... Keep, they can keep feeding him at a steady procession of Jordan Levitts and he'll continue to have relatively competitive fights with them one of them will upend him soon enough um, interestingly I think Paddy's on record this is an aside to what I'm about to talk about I think he's on record saying basically he's not going to step up in competition anyway until he makes the big bucks coming off a couple of losses and clearly geared up to fuck Conor McGregor versus Paddy Pimler I honestly reckon they're going to make it I reckon they're going to skip the likes of Dan Hooker Tony Ferguson 
Jim Miller, whoever you want to throw at him, and they're going to go, do you know what? We can sell out a stadium in the UK. You know, 70 to 100,000 people. Uh, probably 90,000 at Wembley or whatever. Or, you know, uh, I spoke to uh, uh, Dyer Nugent, who's a former uh, fight site uh, staff member, essentially. Um, and he, he said that um, Croke Park residents would not allow it. So tick that one off. Echo Arena, probably too small. Definitely too small. Uh, O2, too small. It'd probably do a fucking Wembley or Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or, you know, don't know. Maybe, maybe Anfield. I don't know. Or is he? Or is he good? Or is he Evertonian, Paddy? I don't know. Goodison Park, maybe. I don't know. All, all scousers uh, are equally equally bad to me. Um, this is what my my two scouse listeners are. I'm never going to fucking listen to this podcast again. Just too sensitive to take a joke. Um, but yeah, in the, in the fight itself, yes, fairly fun and scrambly. Jordan Levitt positionally grappled mainly in the first round. Not much of interest going on, but does again raise some relatively interesting questions about uh, fan knowledge of scoring. Not just scoring in terms of like you know who deserves to win a fight, but in terms of looking at a fight and being able to figure out how it's actually going. Because you had uh, Bispin again, it's partly his fault saying you know Paddy was sort of more offensive in the first round, but Jordan had the. Uh, at the positional sort of control. So it's a really close round, you know. No, it's not. Not a close round. It's not. The rules do not dictate that to be a close round. I saw someone flash up on the, you know, they have the little ticker going at the bottom of Twitter um, opinions. Yeah, I think Levitt won that round. And I saw someone online, you know, saying like, yeah, I think, you know, Levitt won that round, you know, because of the positional grappling. It's like, guys, the fucking the rules and the criteria do all the work for us. Okay, the only times I've got to say this, um, and unlike certain people go on and on and on about the rules, I actually know how to fucking watch and score a fight. Um, so let me just reiterate again, the actual fucking rules, yeah? I'm not going to go into the striking thing because it's pretty much a wash. Um, I think Levitt landed some love taps to like defy, landed one knee um, from clinch, you know, pretty nice. I mean, landed one sort of like, looked like a sort of like a... Almost like a teep, or like a, or like a, almost like a switching teep. I didn't really rewatch really that, to be honest with you. But he sort of looked to smack Paddy in the face of it after they got up. So, um, yeah, basically, um, didn't do much. Paddy landed some scuffing punches early, which didn't really do anything. But he landed some nice elbows uh, when Levitt was trying to take him down. If you consider the first round of Hendrix GSP as your comparison there. Nowhere near as powerful, but there were some good sharp blows. But when it comes to the grappling, okay? The control don't mean anything, right? The immediate weighs more heavily than the cumulative impact, right? That is always true of striking or grappling, yeah? Successful ex execution of takedowns, submission attempts, reversals, and the achievement of advantageous positions that produce immediate or cumulative impact with the potential to contribute to the end of the match. Okay? Side control, don't cut it. Wall and stall, don't cut it. The two guillotine attempts from Paddy Pimlet, do cut it. Okay? First one, didn't really have the arm in, but, you know, it was clearly relatively tight. The, la the second one was nothing. There was nothing on that. The last one in the last sort of 30 seconds or so of the, of the, of the first round. 
those are the kind of positions that will overrule what Jordan Levitt was doing. There were times when Levitt sort of picked him up. If he'd slammed Paddy down, okay, you'd have an argument. But based on the rules, we have to go down them bit by bit, okay? If the striking's even, you move to, and, and you know, the position and, and the attacking, the grappling is equal, then you move down. Okay, let's just say the striking was equal. You know, Lever had that kick in the knee, Paddy had the, the elbows. Let's just say it was equal, right? Yeah. If before we get to the positional grappling of Jordan Levitt winning that round, we have to look at right. Okay, who did the grappling that that could have potentially contributed to the end of the match? Where were the submission attempts from Jordan Levitt? It's not like Paddy just threw up a triangle, nothing happened. These guillotines were relatively tight. And could have potentially contributed to the end of the match. If Levitt's got something similar, then we can move down the criteria. He fucking doesn't. And I've got people from my fucking mentions telling me, oh, wow, yeah, Paddy could have arguably lost that first round. Yeah, if you're a fucking idiot, sure. Fuck off. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed, guys, that this shit keeps going on and on again. I'm disappointed Bispin, who's a fucking brilliant commentator, but the cunt still don't know what, how to score a fight. And the fact of the matter is, he needs to be. We're talking about training judges, training referees, or tra training judges, train the commentators. Because the reason we have this rhetoric of fans not understanding is they rightly so trust that the UFC commentary team know what they're talking about. So when Bispin says, "Oh, it was close because of the control in the first round," they go, "Yeah, of course it was. You're right, Bispin, because I trust that you know what you're on about." And I really like Michael Bispin. I do think he's one of the better commentators out there. So yeah, a couple of bright moments from an otherwise disappointing couple of weeks of UFC cards. And I have to get back on the UFC because, you know, generally, although this podcast covers all combat sports, I think you know, MMA is probably the one which uh, people enjoy most uh, hearing me talk about. And probably MMA is probably my favourite combat. Probably, probably, probably. Uh, probably is. Uh, in all probability, uh, MMA is probably my favourite combat sport. Um, so, yeah. But there are other combat sports to talk about and... The patron over the next couple of months is going to be stacked with a lot of interesting and varied content. So, to give you an idea of what's coming up, if you haven't signed up already, you can get you know the back catalogue of, of additional material that includes episodes of Royal Robbery, where I you know to talk about this uh, Paddy Pimblet uh, scoring uh, misunderstanding. Look at fights through the lens of the unified rules of mixed martial arts, not through my preference, not what I think the rules should be, but what the actual scoring criteria is. And decide whether a fight was correctly judged or not, as best I can. Uh, there is closet classics where I look at fights that maybe you haven't heard of that you need to watch immediately, and that's where uh, the the episode I spoke about earlier in this uh, in this episode uh, is, which is the closet classics episode, uh, which is like an audio documentary, which I hope you guys will will check out. If you if you're already a patron, please do let me know your thoughts. If you're not, please come sign up. Uh, we've got another episode of Royal Robbery coming up next week, which is Dominic Cruz versus TJ Dillashaw, um, which is a really interesting uh, one to look at. Um, and in the month of August, we've got uh, a couple of boxing-related episodes coming up. Um, and in the month of September, I'm going to be trying, and the reason there's not going to be a huge amount of August is I'm going to try and record as much as possible for September because I'm going to do a very special month Um for all the patrons, all the lovely patrons, which is called 30 Nights of Fights, where every single day on the patron, there will be an episode, not going to be, you know, 
45 minutes at a time. Some will be 15, 20 minutes. Some will be five minutes. Um, but basically just talking about a fight. Talking about a fight that's either historically significant, maybe one I think is fun, so it's like an extension of Closet Classics. Uh, maybe one that's interesting from a technical uh, perspective. But I will talk about why that fight is interesting. It could be from any combat sport. Could be one that I think just a really fun shootout. But yeah, it could be from any combat sport. Um, it's going to be a fight which you might have heard of. Might be an absolute stone-cold classic that everyone knows. Just to hear my perspective on it. Maybe to add some historical perspective to that fight. It might be one that maybe you've never heard of. And I'll go, yeah, actually, you know what? This is somewhat of a closet classic. It might be one you've never heard of that's interesting for you know another reason. Maybe there's something uh, that happened that was weird in the fight. And the fight's not at all notable. But maybe it was something weird. Um, but yeah, I've not decided on all the fights yet. I've decided on some of them. I'm going to sort of record as many as I can in August, so in September, not a, not a beat will be missed. Um, I'm pretty certain they're all going to be fights that we've got footage of, so we can sort of watch along. Um, but maybe I might do a couple that are just sort of uh, history based. Not 100% sure on that, but I'm almost certain they're going to be fights that are easily accessible on either Fight Pass or YouTube. Um, and the reason I'm backloading all of them episodes is in September I'm going to be writing, recording, producing the first episode of the Guide to Pride series which was one of the things I spoke about before I even started this podcast journey and that is going to be in October so I want that, I want basically September free so I could just upload in September not have to worry too much about recording Patreon episodes because they're already being in, in, the, in the background ready to go uh, and then essentially I can work for much, much of September, uh, all of September and much of October on uh, doing this first episode of the Guide to Pride, which is going to be a bit of a mix uh, like I did with this Closet Classics episode, bit of an audio documentary with a bit of chatter as well and hoping to get a, uh, almost certainly going to get a, um, a guest on to talk about uh, one of the fights in the back half. So the reason I'm waiting until October, you might think, I'd love to hear the Guide to Pride now. Um Guide to Pride is going to be, for the the unaware, each episode we'll talk about one Pride event. Um, not one Pride, uh, my, my favourite uh, Indonesian uh, midget fighting league. But um, yeah, it'll be a single Pride event at a time. And October this year is the 25th anniversary of Pride 1. So perfect time to drop it. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be me. I'm going to talk about every fight on the card, whether it's sort of worth watching now worth watching later or one for completionists only sort of give it give it a rank based on that talk about the historical uh, sort of background of, of the fights and fighters um sort of how relevant they are uh and yeah basically hopefully by the end of it we'll all be completely immersed and knowledgeable about the whole history of pride fighting championships which for mixed martial arts is arguably one of the uh, high po- high points in in the in the history of the sport so yeah forgive me for using some of this episode to talk about things that are either out there or coming up on the patron because um it really does keep me doing this podcast uh, but also you know there's only some things of interest over the last couple of weeks on the mma front and, and, and not too much in, in boxing i mean we've had uh we had uh ioka versus nietis uh, rematch uh, which i still haven't even caught up on what a prick um, so yeah, I mean, there'll be more. There'll be more. There'll be more. And, and yeah, besides, it's fucking baking hot. If you are listening to this podcast, I hope you're out enjoying the weather, um, and hopefully it's it's not too unbearable for you, and you know, and, and it's enjoyable. 
Uh, and, and if you're not listening to this podcast, and you're not even hearing this, good. Hopefully it means you're doing something uh, fun and enjoyable because you want to listen to me waffle on, on a Sunday. Um, but you will hear me waffling next Sunday because we've got a UFC pay-per-view. And as I say, if you want to hear even more waffle and pay for the privilege of doing so, head on over to www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles where there is some weird and wonderful stuff already waiting for you and a lot of stuff coming up. Until next week, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.